I love all of my children, and I'm proud of them. And uh, this week, uh, we learned Matt called us to say that he had um, he'd been asked to been actually brought over to another company, wanted to hire him, and and um, it's going to be it appears to be a very good move for him, very just a very excellent time. And I and you need to know that he's doing well. He's doing. He's raising his kids to love the Lord. He's going through some of his own theological studies, uh, taking it very, very seriously. And uh, his one son said to me, who's about what third grade, said uh, said to me about a month ago. He said, "Bumpa, I just finished reading First, Second, and Third John, and in a real Bible. I mean, a real. I, I see the Bible he's using, and that he's reading it, and he's teaching his kids." And um, got a wonderful wife and uh, faithful in their church attendance. It's wonderful to see. But I got to tell you, there was more than one occasion when that kid was growing up that I said to myself, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? Because he gets to kindergarten. Kindergarten. Now, when he got to kindergarten, we had had two kids who collectively had had, uh, I think, 12 or 13 years of schooling behind them already. We had never once been called into the teacher's office. (laughs) Never once. Five times in the first three months, we're being called in to talk to his teacher. And the first time we're being called in, it's because he spit at his teacher. What are you thinking? gets to be in fifth grade. Fifth grade. He knows better. I head upstairs and um, he's playing with his friend. I won't tell you who his friend is because I didn't get permission from his parents who are sitting here today. Fifth grade. And these two boys are in the bathtub clothed playing with water in the bathtub. They're sitting in the bathtub that they filled with water. Fifth graders, what are you thinking? You know better than this. And they both come out soaking wet. What is wrong with you? He started college. He quit college. He started a different college. He quit a different college. Neither time did he tell us. Now, he eventually went on to, you know, get on to an honor roll and do very well at UND. But his first two attempts at college, he didn't even have the sense to say, maybe I'll withdraw and get some money back. Oh, no. He just quit going to college. We don't find out about it till weeks later. To which we're saying to ourselves, what in the world are you thinking? How crazy can you be that you at least didn't get some money back when you decided apparently this isn't for you? As we come to Romans chapter 2, I hear Paul saying to the Romans, What are you thinking? How crazy can you be to think what you apparently are thinking? Romans chapter 2 Verse 1, we, began, we saw this last week, I, wanted, I like to give it a running start, 
Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. If you'll remember, if you were with us, chapter 1, he laid out this excoriating um, list of progression of how godless men go into deeper and deeper sin. It's horrific. And you read it and you go, that's terrible. And that's where chapter 1 ends. And then he goes into chapter 2 and says, uh, yeah, those of you judging those in chapter 1, yeah, uh, you do the same things. You're in the same bad situation because we know that God's judgment is according to truth. And what we noted was there, as, as he now is looking at, these are the religious types. So we, we described them last week as the obvious sinners are in chapter 1. They even know that they're sinning and worthy of judgment. And then in chapter 2, he comes to what I refer to as the oblivious sinners. They think they're all right. They think they're in a good place. Chapter 1, we have the unrighteousness that he is describing. Chapter 2, he now turns to those who live with self-righteousness. Might not be so evident to them that they've got as big a problem as the people in chapter 1. So we noted that in chapter 2, verse 1, he said, You are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are that sit in judgment on another. And it's the very same word that he used in chapter 1, verse 18, when he talked about those who suppress the truth and they don't want to keep God in their knowledge. And he says they are without excuse in verse 20. He leads to. They are without excuse. And then he turns to chapter 2, gets, goes to Nugu, says, by the way, you're inexcusable also. Same word. You are without excuse. You have no defense that you're going to be able to bring for where you're at. That was the one thing that we noted in verses 1 and 2. The other thing we noted is that um, they said, we know the judgment of God is according to truth. Truth is the issue at play here. And the people in chapter 1, they suppressed the truth. They didn't want anything to do with the truth. Now he says to the people in chapter 2, he says, by the way, the truth is still going to bear impact upon your life. You're not going to escape the truth either. Even They willingly try and escape it you are also going to be confronted with the truth. So we, we read that. We know the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things in verse 2. And then we come to verse 3. And I want you to just notice something in the structure of verses 3 and 4. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and do the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or... Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Do you, are you thinking this, or are you thinking that? What in the world are you thinking? What, what do you think is going to happen here as you are sitting in a place where you're coming under judgment? That you're gonna, you think you're going to escape his judgment? Notice in verse, it, it, I'll bring us back. It, we're not going to have it come up on the screen. Chapter 1, verse 32 ended with, Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, do the same, but also approve those who practice them. They know they're under God's condemnation. They know they're going to get God's judgment, and they're fine with it. They're just looking for others who are willing to live in that same place. They at least know they're under judgment. And then he says to the people in chapter 2, 
the oblivious sinners. Do you think you're going to escape judgment? Do you think somehow God's truth is not going to come and point a, a, a guilty finger at you and say, yeah, you got a problem too. So he, what I see is he's setting, up a, he's setting up the same arguments that he effectively used for the people in chapter 1. He's using for the people in chapter 2 who are hiding behind this religious veil. He's using the same arguments towards them, shifts them a little bit because they're living in a, from a different perception. One lives in unrighteousness, one lives in self-righteousness. But he's saying, same issues you're going to have to wrestle with. You, they know the righteous judgment of God. You somehow think you're going to escape it. You know it's out there. You're going to escape it. Verse 21, or, or he follows with, do you despise the riches of his goodness? Huh, the riches of his goodness. And we noted in verse 21 of chapter 1, because although they knew God, remember the God who created everything so that they're without excuse? Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. They effectively despised what they knew of God. Doing the same thing. So Paul asked, we got one of two things is all that I can guess that's going to explain where you guys are at. The one is, you think you're going to escape. Somehow, they're the sinful ones. They're the bad ones. They're the ones whose God's truth is going to find out and, and is going to judge them. And you think, yeah, but not that bad. Not that bad. Not going to hit me that way. They're the ones who are going to fall under his condemnation. And uh, he says, you think you're going to get away with it? This judgment that he's going to bring that is according to truth, that points out to each one of us how incredibly sinful we really are, that it goes to our very nature. You think you're going to get away from that? Or in escaping it, do you think somehow you're going to outsmart God? Not that he won't judge you, but he's going to try and judge you, and you're going to, you're going to outsmart him. You've got an argument to bring to him. And he says, yeah, you're without apology. You have no argument. And that's what an apology is. It's, it's an argument back. <laughs> You've got no apology. You're, going to, you're just as inexcusable as, uh, as the sinners are, that you see as the sinful ones. So you... you going to get away from this? So that's one thing. Or, or maybe you simply despise the riches of his goodness. The word despise literally means you look down on. You look down on how he is reaching out to you. You look down on the forbearance, the long-suffering, the goodness that he bears, brings to play into your life. It's just like, Fah. apparently God's not going to do anything. Apparently I can get away with this. And you don't, you don't see that it is his goodness, his forbearance, his long-suffering that are calling to you. These are the things that are calling to you to say, come to this place of repentance. I offer you a safe place. I offer you a place where you can lay all the trash out there. You can lay out all the garbage out there. You can lay out all the guilt. You can face it all. Here, you can face it. Because I am prepared to forgive you through the blood of Jesus Christ. Preparation has already been made to receive you and to give you the forgiveness you need because the penalty has already been paid. 
And he's speaking to those of you. Despise that? Do you look down on that? Do you not understand how gracious God is in offering this to you? And it's the same as those who just don't glorify him, right? In the previous chapter, but well, we don't glorify him. No, don't want to deal with it. So there's four places where as he deals with the sinners in chapters one, the obvious sinners in chapters one, now we come to the oblivious sinners in chapter two, four times he's running a parallel between them and a parallel of thought. So he says, man, the very thing that you are looking down on, if that's the tack you're taking, the very thing you're looking down on is the thing that calls you, invites you to find new life in his son. And that thought, of course, is replete throughout the entire, uh, throughout the entire gospel message. And you, we see it stated in a number of ways. So I thought, well, let's just look at some other places that, that um, kind of give us that same sense of there is a gracious gift available to us, but it's available in one place. Second Peter chapter 3. In verses 8 and 9, we read this. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. You know, this is, Peter's in the middle of that argument where he says, you know, some people can say, man, not, nothing's changed since the beginning. Nothing has changed at all. Uh, God's not going to do anything. You know, maybe there was that flood back there, but since then, it all goes on the same day after day after day. And Peter's saying, do you not get it? Do you not get it? What seems like a long time to you, it's not a long time to God. And he's waiting. He's hoping. He's desiring. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He waits. He desires. It's not that he has forgotten. The judgment is going to come. But he's giving us time to make our way back to him and to receive the gift that he has. How about Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11? Again, this is replete through the gospel. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. God's grace and salvation has appeared to us, and now he is waiting to change us, to mold us into his Christ's image to do something different rather than we just continue down that downward slide of oblivious sin. God's ready to do something. Man, magnificent grace. We look for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Think of the magnificence of who he is, what he's doing, what's going to happen when Christ returns and the truth of who he is is known to all the world. But at that point, he's going to come with judgment. Now, we don't have to be under that judgment because he's been judged for us. 
But do we despise how magnificent he is, how wonderful he is? Do we? Ah, it's not that big a deal. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, very, very well-known verses to us. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And maybe that's part of the issue. The whole thing is with our, when we're oblivious to sin is we think, I'm not so bad. I'm not as bad as the guys that we were, were described in chapter 1. I'm not as bad as the guys I see in the news. I'm not as bad as the people who are taking our culture into a dark place. I'm not that bad. I'm not like them. I don't do the specific things that they do. So we have a little bit of a boast in ourselves. And Ephesians says, we're dead in trespasses and sin. We had no hope. But by grace, he reached out to us. He offered us newness of life. When all is said and done, we'll have nothing to boast in other than Jesus Christ. Nothing at all. So we can get rid of all of that stuff where we keep trying to justify who we are and how good we are and how religious we are and all these things. It's like Paul said, I count it all as refuse. He lived in that world and he said, I count all things but refuse for thee. Excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. None of that stuff matters. And God waits while we continue to walk in the mire of our own refuse and our own self-righteousness. He calls us. Come out of the garbage. Come out of the pit. I have a new life for you here. I have wholeness here in Jesus Christ. And I will graciously, freely give it to you. But you've got to humble yourselves enough to come. You have to be willing to acknowledge that you have a need. Romans chapter 5, six, beginning in verse 6. And again, we see this is replete in the gospel. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How magnificent is that truth? How magnificent is it that, I know for the beginning years of my life, I tried to live the religious, oblivious gospel. That, hey, if you're good enough, you can get in. If you're good enough, God will let you into his heaven. I'll tell you what, friends, you live under that system and very quickly you begin to learn, I can't be good enough. So where does that leave you? Where does that, the despair that that leaves you in, that if I've got to be good enough, because I can't be that good. And then we find out, God didn't say clean yourself up and then come to me. He said, I've already made the sacrifice available for you. It's already been paid. You simply need to receive it. It's a free gift that I'm offering to you because I love you. Do we despise that? Well, that can't be very valuable. I'll keep doing it my way. I'll keep being a good person. Being a good person, being a good person isn't going to cut it. I don't care how good we are. We can't be good enough. Plain and simple. But God is gracious enough. That he has made the provision already. Amen. Replete throughout the gospel. John writes, 
as Jesus' words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. And John, Jesus speaking in the, in the Gospel of John, gets to the root of the matter there, doesn't he? He gets to the root of the matter. God gave his Son, whoever believes in him uh, will not perish, have everlasting life. Whoever doesn't believe, they're condemned already. Why? Because we're born condemned. I know that sounds harsh, but we are. <laughs> We're born with sinful natures and we are born dead in trespasses and sin. And if we, don't, if we don't address that problem, we die dead in trespasses and sin. Separated from God. But God, in His grace, poured out His righteous judgment on Jesus at the cross in our place. And it was adequate to pay the penalty that is due us. And God says, I have a gift for you. Will you receive it? Will you receive it? And Paul knows among those in Rome, says there are those who despise the riches of his goodness. They're not getting it. They're not understanding that this thing of goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, they're not a weakness in God. They're not something wrong with God. Those are the places from which God is calling and saying, I want you to be a part of my kingdom. I want you to be redeemed. I want you to not live eternally separated from me. So friends, takes its shape in many different ways here um, as we go through the scriptures. But the message just keeps coming through. God has done the work through Jesus Christ. He has paid the penalty. He has been the substitution for where we should have been on that cross. It's done. It's done. Don't despise it. Receive it. Receive something so simple done on your behalf, on my behalf. But to not receive it is to despise it. To not receive it is to stay in a place of condemnation because we didn't receive it. And John, that explains why. Why, why are we going to do that? Why would anyone do that? Yeah, well, we want to stay in our sin. We want to stay in our evil deeds. We want to stay in the darkness. So we despise what God has done. We think very little of it. And we keep going the direction that we're going. And Jesus says, you are already condemned. I want to bring you out of condemnation. What were they thinking? Imagine Paul as he's having this written. What, what were they thinking? Who thinks they're going to escape the judgment of God? Do they really think Somehow God's going to miss them? 
that his truth is going to overlook their sin? Do they think they're going to talk him out of it? Is that what they think? Those who think they're just going to escape the judgment? Or what about those who, they just despise it. They're not looking for that because they don't see the need. They're oblivious to their sin. They're oblivious to their guilt. They don't understand that they are in a horrible place before God unless they receive what Christ has done. What are you thinking, people? What are you thinking? He asked those two questions. We're going to move to the Lord's table. And you can see where this is going. The question is, we're going to celebrate that which tells us exactly how God has provided this salvation how he offers us, what is that thing through which he offers us this new life? This new relationship with him, this thing that takes us out of the darkness and the dark habits and the old ways. There's something new that we can walk in that walks in the glory of who Jesus Christ is. That's what's available to us. He says, he says to us, I'm, do you think you don't need it because you can figure out another way you can escape it? Or do you simply despise it? I, I don't think that's all that impressive of a, of a thing that you're offering there. So I'll just go about my own way. Thank you. I'll continue to do my own religious practices. My friends, we are about to declare that we have received this gift. That's what we're doing when we come to the Lord's table. We're declaring we know that these elements which represent the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, we know that their effectiveness is in taking us out of this dark place. It is the only, it is the only, are we hearing that? It is the only place that God has revealed where our sin can be dealt with. There is no other place. So as we come today, we're declaring by entering into the elements, Jesus Christ is my only hope. And I have, I have received the gift of salvation by putting my faith in him and despising not the gift that God offers, but despising my own self-righteousness, despising my sin, despising my own deadness, and exalting in the gift that God has. Friends, this is for everybody who has, who has entered into that relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have said, yep, I need it. I need it. And we're going to share in that in a moment. But I'm always aware that there may be some people who are gathered here, because you've not all told me your stories. There may be some people gathered here who have never entered into that. We've always, we've still played this game of well, I think I'm better than others, so I probably won't get that bad of a judgment. I can escape it that way. Or we played this game of, I am really religious. I make sure that I go to the Evangelical Free Church every week. And that means God will accept me. That means nothing. Or any other church in the area or around the world that somebody attends every week means nothing. The only thing that we have is faith in Jesus Christ to receive the gift that God has offered. So if today 
you have not, if, if this seems foreign to you, if it seems foreign to you, I ask you to um, give serious thought as to why, why you would not receive what God has done. Are you despising God's, God's work on your behalf in Jesus Christ? Does, do you resent the fact that it involves confessing that you're a sinner? Because if, if we don't confess it here, God will confess it for us, I promise you. He's going to make it clear. And we're going to go, oh, yeah, and it's going to be, actually it's going to be worse than we realized. <laughs> I'm convinced of that. Because we all play this game of making ourselves feel like we're pretty good. So my friend, if you have not yet received this magnificent gift, could I ask you, can I invite you, maybe today would be that day, to not leave here without saying, Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm understanding it now in a new way, in a fresh way, I'm understanding. I cannot, I cannot escape your judgment. There's no, it's gonna, the truth will point to me and I'll be under your judgment. And I have been despising the richness of your goodness but not willing to receive it and now I see it. I see it for how good and how, for how patient you are. You're good, you're patient. You have put up with me long enough in this place of rebellion. Lord Jesus, I lay it all down and I despise my own sin and I exalt you for what you have done and ask you to be my savior and I place my faith in you and have claim hope in nothing else. So friends, I trust that as we come to the elements here, we have all dealt with that issue so we can all freely join in these elements. Let's pray. Father, thank you that, um, that your word is so clear that none of us will escape. All of us are in need. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who has despised Look down upon what you offer in Jesus Christ. I, I pray that today will be the day of great confession, that they will acknowledge that they can't be made right before you by their own works, but that Jesus Christ can make them right. I pray this will be the day, Father, that they will quit thinking that somehow they can outsmart you. But Lord, they'll just enter into the magnificent joy of what it means to lay down the burden of guilt, to to acknowledge that we're sinners, Father, and to lay down the guilt at the cross and say, Lord Jesus, I need you to deal with this. So today, Father, I pray if there's anybody either in this worship center or listening online, Father, that today, that they will say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I am a hopeless sinner and I need you. And that you will invade their lives, Father, and that you will become their saving Father, that Christ will be their Savior, that the Holy Spirit will indwell them to give them newness of life, Lord. And Lord, for those of us who have walked in this and we have embraced this truth, some here for many, many decades, Father, I pray that this moment here as we, as we come back to remembering the elements of the Lord's table, I pray that this moment will be a reminder to each of us, an uplifting reminder as to how you have worked this magnificent thing in our lives. And maybe sometimes through the years, Lord, we've even taken it lightly, but that you will impress upon us again how serious this is and um, your love and that uh, we maybe need to refresh our understanding in new ways. 
So we ask that you bless us as we share in these elements. Now we ask that you do a work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.